Welcome to the Pre-Health Pod. My name is Lexi. And I'm Sarah. And we're a podcast by students for students who have been through undergrad, are going through application processes for PA and med school, and are here to meet you wherever you are. Glad to be back. This is my favorite part of my day. <laughs> it's just I feel like we only talk now in the podcast, which I'm, it's like made us closer. It has. It's weird though. I'm like not allowed to text her in my life updates. I'm only allowed to text her if something's going wrong. <laughs> yeah, which probably isn't a good thing. <laughs> we'll keep it that way for a little bit. I know you've been tech, like when we wake up in the morning, it's like, I get a text from you. I just wake up I'm like, oh, it's my good morning text from Sarah. Usually like, here's what's going on for the conference. Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, and I'm three hours ahead of Lexi. So I'm like on my way to work and I'm like, oh, these are the things I need to let Lexi know about. Text her, text her, text her. And then by le- my lunch break, I've heard back. And so on my lunch break, I'll like, <laughs> okay, now let's work through her responses. And the other day I had texted, no, I hadn't texted her anything yet. And I got to my lunch break and I had no text messages from her. And I seriously texted her and I was like, hey, is everything okay? I know I woke up and she was like, are you okay? I'm like, what? I'm just, I'm tired. I'm sleeping. It's only 8 a.m. here. Yeah. I know I got that really nice nine to five in my gap year. And when I got the job, I anticipated, I was like, oh, I'm just like not going to do anything before 9 a.m. or after 5 p.m. It's just going to be work. I'm like, no, I'm still a pre-med. I'm still doing stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Test prep and interview prep and never ends. <laughs> yeah. I'm working in eight to five and it's a little bit of a commute. It's a little farther than I wanted it to be, but it's weird because now if I want to work out, I have to wake up at like five in the morning. Ugh. It's terrible. I don't, I'm not a morning person. I will get up early for work but I don't want to get up early to go to the gym. So getting myself up at five to make sure I get a workout in for the day, painful. I know it's just, honestly, America sucks for that because Europeans are like, oh, I just walk to work or that's my, that's my commute. And I'm just naturally in great shape and healthy. And my foods are great. There's no weird preservatives or all the crap that we eat in the United States is banned there. And I'm just like, oh, one thing I, when I lived abroad that one of my roommates says was like, when they came to America, they were so shocked that everybody's up at 4am and like working out really, really hard. And they go to work and they work really, really hard. And after work, they work really, really hard. And it's just very different for them. And like, wow, why do we do it that way? (laughs) I don't know. I, I do not know. But I know that if I don't get up at five to go to the gym, I'm not going after work because after work, I'm tired and I want to eat dinner and I want to do a little homework and climb into bed. (laughs) No, I feel that way. Um, So yeah, for today's episode, we had a great conversation with two medical students at the Mayo Clinic here in Arizona, um, Jay and Izzy. Jay, actually, I've been friends with since freshman year of my undergrad. We were in the same biology class along with a couple other friends, and we grouped together and exchanged Quizlets, and um, he's been a, a really long pre-med friend, and it's always so cool to see your peers get, like be successful and get into medical school and hear their story, and um, so yeah, look forward to that later in the episode. They have like, fantastic, truly remarkable stories for why they went into medicine. 
in healthcare and also offer some great tips for application processes too. So stick around. Absolutely. Yeah. And I will give you guys a forewarning. I'm a little quieter this episode (laughs) (laughs) coming from, (laughs) yeah, coming from the pre-PA perspective. I honestly didn't have much to add. I spent a lot of time listening and learning from their expertise. So sorry, I guess you can enjoy listening to me right now. So Sarah, um, I want to hear you talk. (laughs) How is your week or month or whatever so far? Yeah, this week's been good. It's been really busy. And as I'm about to start talking to you about my wedding, I'm realizing I don't think I've mentioned on the podcast that I'm getting married. Oh my God. I know people are probably like, what? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I have, but I think in our relationship episode with Dr. Ladson, I mentioned my fiance, but yeah, I'm actually doing it now. I'm getting married. We're getting married on August 5th. So it's right around the corner, except I think it have, it's already passed No, everyone listening to this. Yeah. So we're pre, (laughs) we're pre-recording a lot of episodes to make sure we have enough episodes to post for you guys while I'm getting married and going on a honeymoon, but Mm -hmm. this is getting really, really close. And I have so many things to do and planning a wedding is hard and stressful. And I have lots of things to complain about, but it's going to (laughs) be fine. I can't wait to have everything on my to-do list checked off because this is getting ridiculous. Yeah. What is one thing you didn't realize you needed to do when planning a wedding? Signs. Freaking signs. You need a welcome sign. You need a ceremony sign. You need a menu sign. Like... If, I mean, if it wasn't a dry wedding, you'd need a bar sign. So at least I don't need one of those. We need a sign for the (laughs) ice cream. We need a sign to tell people what flavor cake it is. And we're traveling for this wedding. So freaking signs, you guys, if any of you are like calligraphers and make signs, oh, I guess it's too late. I was going to say, send me your stuff because I need signs, but it's too late. (laughs) Send me your stuff and I'll tell you how amazing you are. Send me your stuff when I get married in 10 years. <laughs> there you go. But what about you, Lexi? How are you doing? Not as exciting as getting married. Like, Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm like living through you right now. I'm so excited for the wedding. Alex and I have been, we're going to take a road trip there and we're going to stop in Vegas on the way to the wedding. So we got our hotels there and I'm really excited about that. Um, so that's been my exciting part. Cause we actually like basically made your wedding a part of our vacation. Yeah, that's awesome. Before and after, like before we're going to go through Vegas and then after we're going to go through Zion. That's exciting. I'm glad. I'm glad it's a vacation for you. (laughs) Yeah. We actually had friends invite us to go to Disneyland, like after your wedding. And we were thinking of doing that, but I was like, "Mm, maybe that's too much. (laughs) So it'd be like Vegas, wedding, Disneyland, and then go home. Like I can't take off that much work. Oh, that would have been so fun though. I know. You, all, you should go. You only live once. <laughs> your work, true. this work isn't a forever job. You're going to medical <laughs> yeah. school. Half your job. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. Um, but other than that, I have been still plugging away at secondaries. I've submitted five so far of my 23. And after this recording, I'm going to like submit four because I just got edits from my like English friend and I don't know mentors or peers at these respective medical schools who can review them. So I'm just going to like really make sure that 
the answers are exactly what I want and I answered the question. Um, key point, guys, keep rereading the question because I know a lot of the questions are similar, but they probably have different aspects to it. And I've noticed that a couple of times it's like, it's difficult to not copy and paste, but you really have to make sure that you are answering the question tailored to that school and their mission. So that's yeah. been like the hardest part is a lot of these schools do ask similar questions, but like editing my essays in a way that tailors it specifically to their mission. It's just a lot of work. And that's really all I've been doing on my weekends. Every weekend is just going through all of these essays and trying to get in as many as they can. Because every day, a new secondary essay pops back in my mail. Like this morning, I got UCLA and I was like, oh, add to my list. Yeah. In progress. Okay. I got nitty gritty questions for you. You're going to keep your answers short. You hear me? That's going to be really hard. (laughs) Keep it short. How much do you think pre-med students should plan to save to do secondaries? Only secondaries? Only secondaries. $2,500. Okay. That's for how many schools? For 25 schools. Okay. Awesome. And how are you doing secondaries? Like, do you have a schedule for this? How much time is it taking you per school? What do you think they need to know? Thank you for asking me this. Um, oh boy. Here's what I do. I have a Google drive folder one before I got my secondaries. I had already designed. I had already made Google docs for every single school with the questions from last year. If you can't do that, just make Google doc blank with the, t- like the name of it. In each Google talk, I have received colon and the date I received it. And then in that folder, I have a received folder, an in progress folder and a completed folder. So if I received it, I put that Google doc, I copy paste the questions into it and I put it in my in progress folder. As I finish it, like the writing of it, my first draft, and I send it to my mentors, my peers, like whoever um, I want to review it, I put it in the in progress folder. And then if I submitted it, I put it in the completed folder. Um, I had set initially internal deadlines of one week um, from my initial receiving of it. It is not working <laughs> for... Um, you know, unfortunately, I wish I was a pro at this, but it is really hard. There's so many essays. And so I prioritize based on which school was my top choices. And so I worked on those first, no matter when I received it. And I kind of went from there. So I do have like a couple essays I'm submitting today that I received one week and two days ago. Um, But I think generally two weeks from the date you received is like, the latest deadline to do. That's what I'm doing for me. Okay. Now don't go off on a rant about this. Do you think it is feasible for undergraduate students to do the secondary application progress while they are still in school? Cause you're on a gap year doing this. You're working yeah. a full-time job. You're getting it done. Do you think students could do this during their undergraduate year and not struggle through classes? I mean, it's July right now in school, at least at ASU doesn't start. And so whatever you're doing in your summer, like before you're like of applying to medical school, keep it smaller. 
so you can make time for adequate answers to your essays and apply early. So you get those secondaries in July and like knock them out as many as you can before you start school in August. You start school in July. I, I, I feel like I can't give adequate advice for that. I, it is really hard. Um, but treat it like an extra activity. It's like one of the things on your plate, you know, even like, like, like your research job or your work job, it's your secondary job. Okay. Thank you for answering my questions. Thank you for making me keep it brief. You're a really good moderator. (laughs) (laughs) I just know you well. I know the ideas in your brain. Like, well, what about (laughs) this? You know, if you're doing this, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I know you. Okay. So now we're going to answer a question from our audience, our listeners. Hi guys. Someone sent us a question to ask about networking and how we go about networking. So Lexi and I decided that the best way to do this is instead of just to give you pointers, we're going to pretend network for you. So I am a stranger to Lexi. She's a stranger to me. We're going to say that we, oh, we're a character. Okay. My name is Gabby and I am Dr. Gabby or PA Gabby, right? No, pre-PA student Gabby. Mm -hmm. I am a junior in college. I'm going to the University of Florida and I am meeting you. So who are you? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh and let's say we're meeting, we're going to meet at a conference. We're at like an AMSA conference. Okay. I like that. I was just at an AMSA conference. So this works well for me. Um, Hi, Gabby. I'm Alexia and I am a recent graduate from Arizona State University and I just applied to medical school. It's great to meet you. What are you doing right now? And when are you applying to PA school? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I have applications in for PA school right now, but I'm just waiting. Um, but yeah, so what are what are you doing like while your application's in? Are you up to anything? Are you doing anything cool? Yeah, I'm working full time for an MCAT prep company, which is very Ooh, interesting. weird. Yeah. Okay. I Who is a, it? What what company? Yeah, I work for Med School Coach as their marketing associate. And they hired me because they were one of my sponsors for the National Pre-Health Conference. What's that? What's the National Pre-Health Conference? Well, thank you for asking. The National Pre-Health Conference is a three-day virtual online event that I host every year. Every year we get over a thousand pre-health students to attend, pre-PA, pre-med, dental. And we have speakers in healthcare, doctors, dentists who come and talk about their careers, as well as admissions officers from all of these schools. And if you'd like to learn more about it, I have a business card here. It has a QR code if you want to scan it and learn more about our conference and future events. Dude, that's so cool. You said it was virtual. Do you, like, is your team virtual? Is everything virtual? Yeah, everything is virtual. Um, I have about a team of 30 students across the U.S. who are volunteering in different facets of the organization from social media, guest speaker recruitment, attendee recruitment, sponsor recruitment. And I only know them all from the shoulders up, but I know everything about them from their their aspirations. But that's something I'm passionate about. And that's so cool. Yeah. What is something that you love? I mean, I could go on and tell you about all my passions, but Lexi, I'm really interested in this conference you mentioned. 
I mean, like your mission and everything, that's really awesome. That's something I feel like I totally align with. Is there any chance you're looking for new team members? Yeah, I am. And we actually have an application open right now. And so my email is on that business card. Shoot me an email with like a resume and some of your interests. And I'd love to connect with you. Maybe we can do a virtual coffee chat. Okay, awesome. Thank you. I'll definitely do that. And scene. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah. So guys, what I really wanted to showcase to you there was you can't just introduce yourself. You can't just talk about yourself. If you want to make a really strong networking connection, you have to show a lot of interest in whatever that other person is. One of you is going to do it. You want to be the person that's asking them follow-up questions, trying to get to know more about whatever they're working on or what they volunteer for, because you're trying to find a way to get their email address without straight up asking for their email address. And honestly, even if you're not even interested in joining... Like if I wasn't even interested in joining National Pre-Health Conference, I wasn't interested in Lexi's team at all. I'm going to pretend like I am because I don't know enough about it yet. So maybe I'm not interested right now, but I might be once I go on the website. But if she walks away from me, I'm losing that connection. So be over-enthusiastic, ask way too many questions, and try to make yourself memorable. And the best way to be memorable is being super affirmative and super complimentary and just like totally encouraging them to tell you more and share yeah. more things about them. Cause everyone loves that. They love to feel like they're being listened to. So if you do that, you'll make connections faster. Yeah. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there. When I was at the AMSA conference and I'm sure there are similar pre-health conferences in your area, like UC Davis is one. If you're in California, make the effort to go and meet doctors and people there Um, Because at my AMSA conference, for some of the sessions that I absolutely loved and enjoyed, one of which was actually Andres Diaz on this podcast, he, that's how I met him, was at a session at this AMSA conference. After his presentation, I went up to him. I loved his talk on health literacy and his work that he was doing with the New Physician Magazine. And I wanted to learn more about him and I wanted to learn his story. And so, you know, we had a great conversation just like, talking about how our interests align similar to like what Sarah and I just did. I asked him a lot of questions and we exchanged contact information. And now he's speaking at my conference and is on the podcast. And also he's just an amazing student and you guys should definitely look into his work at the new physician magazine as well. It's an app too. So download on your app store. Yeah, Um, absolutely. But yeah, people want to hear about you and your interests and You know, actually in the episode later today, Jay mentioned that he wrote a letter to the Dean of the School of Medicine talking about why he wanted to go into medical school. And I think that just highlights the importance of having confidence in yourself. And I just want to tell you right now that you have what it takes to get into medical school. If you want to be a doctor and that is your passion and like, this is what you want to do with the rest of your life, be confident in that and take that to heart and roll with it. I completely agree. And I know sometimes it can feel like, I'm just going to say it, Lexi's got a great story. She's got a great organization. She has lots of things to say and to share. If you feel like you don't have that, you don't have enough to talk about, you just turn the table, ask that other person, make them spill their beans. 
and keep doing that because you'll build connections and those connections will lead to you being able to have things to talk about and things to share that make you cool and exciting. Because when you're just starting out, it's hard to be cool and exciting. So you can rely on the other person when you're networking and you can rely on them to be the cool and exciting in the conversation. That's not a bad thing. They'll still yeah. remember you. It's just, you got to make do with what you've got going for you. Right. You don't have to build a national organization to stand out in anything, your application or interviews. Honestly, I had no idea I was going to do this. I just, it just happened to me one day. I never imagined freshman year that I would be creating something like the national pre-health community. Um, sometimes the pieces just fall into place in your life and you just roll with it. And if there's something in your life, like you just love the research you're doing, you absolutely adore your medical scribe job, or you work on this project that maybe isn't even related to medicine. Maybe it's like you're a weightlifter or you're really into this like arts project or the humanities. Don't be afraid to showcase that and explain why it's very meaningful to you. Cause nowadays, and we talked about this later in the episode, um, Medical schools want to see your humanistic side. How are you human? And like, why and how will you care for patients? I think that is so important and honestly, even more important than the statistics of your test score or like your GPA. How do you care? Like look inwards on yourself and what is your biggest desire for being a doctor and helping people? Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't have said it better. And on that note, we're going to transition into our episode. We hope you guys like it as much as we did. And yeah, enjoy. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me for our next episode with our very special guest, Jay and Izzy, two medical students at the Mayo Clinic Alex School of Medicine here in Arizona, where I am currently at. So really excited to have you both. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having you us. Much. Yeah, um, I'll do some quick intros for both Jay and Izzy. Jay is a second year medical student at Mayo Clinic Alex School of Medicine in Arizona. He's originally from Fort Hood, Texas and got his bachelor's in biomedical science at ASU. Go Devils! He's passionate about increasing equity in higher education among URMs and socioeconomically disadvantaged students and has participated in speaking opportunities through the Mayo Clinic CARES and pre-medical scholars program as well as the MedStart program through U of A. Through that, he's mentored upwards of 10 people through the application process to medical school. Additionally, he's an active member of the nonprofit Zone 7, which aims to promote health and wellness among low-income high schoolers in Phoenix. In his free time, he likes to read fiction, race, triathlons, and practice mindfulness and meditation. And Izzy is a second-year medical student at the Mayo Clinic that grew and grew up in New Mexico. She finally made it out of a hot desert only to move to an even hotter desert here in Phoenix. I can relate sort of differently coming from Florida, just like a wet desert. <laughs> Currently, she is involved in leading a number of different student interest groups, helping to run a student-led clinic for refugees here in the Valley, as well as the nonprofit Zone 7, and is part of the leadership team for AMWA at Mayo Clinic. In her free time, she enjoys jujitsu, powerlifting, and traveling. She has a strong interest in trauma surgery, community involvement, and eating good food. Thank you so much for joining us. Those were some really cool bios. <laughs> thank was, you, thank you. Appreciate it. I was reading it and was like, oh my gosh, these people are so cool. Um, I do want to ask our first question. So looking back at your medical school application seasons, and feel free to share what year you applied, um, what were some of the emotions you were going through? 
And when did you receive interviews, acceptances, rejections, wait lists, or no responses? What was it like? If you want, I can go first. Um, I guess with my med school journey, like I had very little like mentorship, any understanding of what was happening, what was I supposed to do. Um, And so like for a lot of like the primaries, I know that you were supposed to kind of turn them in around like October. And so in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to turn it in August. Like, I'm going to be like super early. Everything's going to be awesome. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So it was, you know, like looking back, it was actually like super late. Um, but I had everything turned in by like Labor Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started hearing back like this secondary started trickling in within a week to three months. So like it was definitely like a long range of like responses from different schools. Um, I heard back from four schools was like wanted interviews after that. I did three interviews um, and a lot of schools just like ended up ghosting me after they got the money from the secondaries, which yeah, was like, I know. <laughs> super awesome. And I'm like, wow, I just wasted a whole bunch of money on schools that just never responded to say I, they weren't even interested. Um, but, you know, I, I heard back from AO. I heard back from a couple other schools. Um, I did three interviews. Um, and then I, once I heard that I got into Mayo, I canceled my fourth interview because I'm like, I am tired of this whole process. And yeah, um, wow. Mayo was always my first choice. So I'm like, I'm here. I'm done. Let's finish this. So, yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Um, I know they put those deadlines sort of super late, even though there's so much like, like unknown about the medical school application season where it's like, you're, you're supposed to submit it day one, May 30th, according to like my company I work for, you know, every pre-advisor, but they don't really tell you that. Like the medical schools don't say that. Like, oh, our deadline's in October or November. And we should really change that. Like make it known that it's rolling and interviews will run out. Yeah, no, that would have been helpful to know. Of course, like looking back, you start like, oh, I finally found like Reddit and finally realized that was a thing. Yeah. And I was like looking through, I'm like, oh my God, it turned it in way too late. Like I'm never going to get an interview. Like this is it, like I'm done. Yeah, I really hate that. Like they just make you go through this spiral in your head and we should change that for sure. So yeah, Jay, what about you? Yeah, so um coming into um undergrad, uh applying to medical school, I didn't have much mentorship. But as I was started writing my applications, I asked my uh my research PI for advice and they gave me a lot of it. They walked me through the process pretty extensively. Um, I believe that I got my primary in around August and then immediately started getting rejections. <laughs> that, was, oh. that was a fun part. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I got a, a couple of rejections uh, right off the bat because my MCAT was below the threshold for a lot of schools. Wow. And funnily enough, uh, Mayo Clinic was one of them. That was uh, that was one of my very yeah. first rejections. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll touch more on that later. But uh, I started getting rejections in, I think, August. Um, I started getting interviews. I think I got five or six over the next couple of months. Um, October is when I got my first acceptance to a school in Texas. And then wow. November, I got ex- accepted to a school here in Phoenix. And then, um, yeah, Mayo Clinic was, uh, they make you interview. So I interviewed in December, I believe. And then um, oh, wow. February is when they send out the acceptances for that. That's a crazy story. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Wow. I want to just pause for a moment because this is something that I learned applying to PA school that I think is so important for people to understand. You really have to check what the test score thresholds are, what the GPA thresholds are. You really have to pay attention to that because these schools, if they're advertising that, they really don't care anything else about you. If you don't meet their threshold, it's an automatic rejection. 
Yeah. Save yourself the heartache, save yourself the money. I will check say, those thresholds. Probably for PA school, they're way more strict. Um, for medical schools, and I'm sure Jay, you can share about this. It's like, it depends, you know, on the medical school. Mm-hmm. Some are definitely more holistic and they might just want to hear from you in your story. And I know for me, like if you do meet below like a certain MCAT threshold for some of the schools, they have said like, write us a letter about why, or like write us an email um, explaining why you think you are a great fit for our school. Did Mayo Clinic like email you back at all or tell you to do that, Jay? No, it was a, it was just an instant rejection. Like I sent in my primary, their threshold is a 508 believe, I, I believe. And I fell yeah. below that when I first applied. So instant rejection. Um, but I knew that I wanted to come here. You know, when I was in undergrad at ASU, I had a lot of experiences with Mayo Clinic physicians and just like the students at large. And yeah. I really liked um, every, everybody that I met. Um, and I knew that I wanted to be a part of that culture. So I emailed the Dean of Admissions directly. Actually, I think at the time it was Dr. Boswick um, oh, wow. telling him why I wanted to come to Mayo Clinic, what I'd add to the, the culture. Um, and he responded directly to me. Uh, saying that he liked what I had to say and then sent me a secondary and the rest is history. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. That's a great story. Wow. So how many schools did you both apply to? I think I ended up applying to about 20, like with primaries and then with the secondaries that came in, like I heard back from all of them wanting secondaries and wanting all that money, Um, but I only ended up applying to like 16 schools because I like learn more about them. I'm like, these schools probably wouldn't take me because I'm an out of like state candidate. So um, I just ended up submitting my to 16 secondaries. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And what about you, Jay? I I applied to 23 total. So 13 through AMCAS and then 10 through the common app. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say. I applied all 10. Because you had to do both AMCAS and what's the Texas one called? that's a tmd sas oh okay yeah that's right yeah wow no i'm going through the same thing i'm going through secondaries right now and i'm already starting to feel like i don't know (laughs) there's so many essays there's like 20 there is one school where they sent me like 15 questions to answer and i'm already starting to think you know i just don't have it in me i'm working a full-time job and um doing this and all these other things and I don't think I have the strength to answer that one. Um, but the rest of the time I'm working my ass off <laughs> with these writing. I am wondering, how did you two handle the rejections? Good question. Um, I, I don't think that it really like demotivated me. I think if anything, it pushed me to just keep going on because I got some rejections pretty early on in the process, like within yeah. like a, a week of sending off my secondaries. And it wasn't like a personal attack. It wasn't like, oh, you're not a good enough uh, candidate. You're not a good enough candidate. It was more so just like, a, for me anyways, it was a drive to just write a little better in my secondaries and dig a little deeper and reflect a little more on why I wanted to do medicine. So I think if anything, you know, the rejections from the initial schools that I applied to kind of uh, yeah. helped me to, um, I guess, be more true to myself and like have that come out on the page later in the cycle with the schools that I actually was interested in. Yeah. And Jay, I know you told me this yesterday, like introspection is what sets you apart. You know, it it is very difficult. Like, let's be frank about that to receive all these rejections and 
um, go through this process, it's expensive. You know, I'm racking up credit card debt from like five grand applications already this summer, taking like majority of my paycheck. And um, so it's really important to just kind of sit down and think to yourself, like, take it, take it back to your why. Why do you want to be a doctor? Why do you want to contribute to your world and your society in this way? And it's really helped me personally in therapy. My therapist is like training me to do this. He's like, go back to your why and it'll make you sort of enjoy writing all of these secondary essays and working so hard on this application and preparing for these interviews because, because this is what you want to do with your life and you will enjoy it one day or now and forever. <laughs> so yeah, um, I do want to ask you now. So what, what is your why for going into medicine? I, like I wish I had like a moment where I could point back to and be like you know like this was yeah. the point that I wanted to be a doctor and I think for a lot of us we have to realize like there was never like a single instances where it, like clicked like I knew growing up like I enjoyed like science and math you know helping people but I mean everyone that applies to med school like that's what they say like oh I like STEM and I like helping people and that's why I'm coming here um, but then I kind of thought about it some more like I worked at the time I did four years working for a nonprofit here in New Mexico where we worked with like trafficking victims and so oh. that was like really hard um, because we saw a lot of like trauma cases come in just like people being like beaten by their abusers and you know people on the street and seeing like how like doctors and nurses and paramedics treated these people with just like really unfortunate life circumstances and a lot of them was out of their control I mean it was just I mean, to me at that time, it would have been nice to like know what to do um, because you had people like, you know, dying in your arms and you're like, I have no idea how to help this person. And so like that, that was something I definitely wrote about um, when I applied to. It's just like having those experiences, not knowing how to help them and like wanting to do better for my community. Um, so that was a big drive for me. Wow. That's an amazing story. That's awesome. Use this in New Mexico. Yeah, it's, it was a nonprofit, Street Safe New Mexico, and we worked with a lot of other sisters agencies. But yeah, during COVID, um, a lot of the nonprofits had closed their doors. Um, so we were just out there, we had like the mobile COVID unit. And so we saw wow. like a lot of like the sick and dying, I mean, people on the street dying from COVID, because there was nowhere else to go. The hospitals were, you know, full, and they were rejecting people that were kind of okay. So I mean, people living on the streets, they just had nowhere to go. Yeah, wow. That's amazing. Is there anything like a similar nonprofit available in Phoenix that you're looking to get involved in? Um, I think there's a couple. I mean, Circle the City, like I haven't done any work, but we're trying to get like a, I guess an experience, like a connection with a relationship built with Mayo Clinic for like street medicine and things like that. Oh, and awesome. Then, and through AMWA, actually, we do a lot with like the Starfish Place, which is another like trafficking organization. They do more like housing victims that have already been identified. Um, so it's transitional housing. So that's been really exciting. And mostly we work with the kids, but I mean, we yeah. did a big Easter egg hunt. That was just a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to get involved in something like that. Um, I know a lot of schools in Phoenix and so has Mayo Clinic already established a street medicine or do they work with like University of Arizona? So yeah, we were working with the University of Arizona. It got complicated because uh, we don't have any Mayo staff doing street medicine. So there was like a legal right. issue. So we haven't been able to do it. And so we're trying to like partner with like Circle the City at the moment. So gotcha, we'll gotcha. see if that happens. That's fantastic. Good luck with that. I really hope that works out. Thank you. Me too. Yeah. Um, Jay, do you want to share your story? 
Um, I think Izzy's point at the beginning, uh, when she was talking about not having a definitive moment, it resonates with me. Because I think that a lot of people, um, as they're going through and trying to reflect on why they're doing medicine, they think, oh, like I need to have this one like pivotal moment in my life that it's like my superhero yeah. moment that like turns me on. And it's just like, you know, this is when I know I'm going to do medicine. But a lot of people don't have that. And I don't really feel like I had that either. Like, you know, when I'm reflecting, I think that um, I always had some vague interest in being a doctor. You know, like it seemed uh, like a really cool way to help people, you know, just be there in their most um, like vulnerable moment, like when they're like really suffering. Um, but I never really, um, never really thought it was possible for myself, to be honest. Like I grew up yeah. in a small town, Coppers Cove, which is near Fort Hood. And um, I didn't know any college educated adults when I was growing up and certainly not any doctors. So when I was a kid, like medicine and doctors seemed really just um, like lofty, like out of reach, um, something that was kind of like beyond me. Um, and I think um, as, I, as I grew up, uh, so I, I guess what like really compelled me to go into medicine um, Fort Hood is known as like being somewhat dangerous. And as mm -hmm. I grew up, I lost some friends to either accidents or gun violence. Um, mm -hmm. And the last one that I lost when I was 17, um, he was my best friend's brother. And it happened at a time when I was trying to decide what it was I wanted to do with my life. So it was either that, um, you know, I, I guess like stay in that town and not do anything or decide to pursue something bigger than myself, even though I'm not sure that I really believe that I could because I didn't have those role models in my life. Um, but I decided to go to college just kind of on a whim. I wasn't planning to originally. I was planning to just go into the military because I lived near Fort Hood. That's what everybody did. Yeah. Uh, decided to go to college um, and then decided, you know, those childhood dreams of wanting to be a doctor. Maybe I'll try and test my luck and do that. And so. Um, started shadowing, started volunteering, started doing research once I got to college. And it really confirmed everything that I ever thought. Like I, I saw that it was a really great way to be there for somebody in their, you know, greatest time of need. And I feel like I've fallen in love with it ever since that I've had the exposure um, in the time that I've been in undergrad. Wow. That's a truly remarkable story. And what made you like immediately think, or not, I guess not immediately, that point where you didn't want to go into the military, you wanted to go into college. Oh, like, uh, like when did what you made think... me like make the switch? Yeah. When did you make the switch? It's hmm. a question. I, I think it, it was kind of out of fear, to be honest. Like, I think it was, a uh, after my friend passed, um, when it was like, when it was time for me to decide what I was going to do after I graduated. Um, I think it sounds, uh, sounds kind of sad, but I feel like I, I had a fear of ending up like him, like of being in this hometown yeah. uh, that I was trapped in and kind of having the same fate. So I think one, it was like a means of escape, like to leave my hometown to get out of there. Yeah. But also two, it was a means of paying it back. You know, I feel like part of it for me is trying to circumvent suffering other people. You know, it's like if I can be there for somebody on their darkest day, um, right. I think I can circumvent those emotions that I felt when I was a teenager. And so it's it's twofold in a way. Yeah. You know, I definitely feel the exact same way in my story. I talked about my story in my first episode of the podcast for those who are wondering. Um, but I grew up, I'm a domestic violence survivor. Um, my father was just unfortunately burdened by mental illness and would not like obtain treatment. Anytime his doctors tried to help him, he would just not like 
align with their interests or anything like that. And unfortunately our family suffered because of it. And throughout my high school career, what had happened is I finally, you know, convinced my mother to divorce him. And hopefully I, I assumed the court would give my mother full custody. And he claimed parental alienation saying my mother was, you know, just like lying about the whole thing and brainwashing me and my siblings into like not liking my father. And so the court believed it and they ended up putting us in shared custody. And then my brothers actually got majority custody with my brother. And so throughout college or throughout high school, I was just like, how can I get out of here? And I was struggled between this feeling of I need to stay in my hometown and not go to college and help my family and fight these court battles or like graduate high school early and go to college and like have a successful life. And so that's what I did. I was like, I talked to my mom about it. I was like, I feel so guilty leaving you guys behind. But she was like, you have to go because if you stay, my my dad was just like threatening a lot of like murder threats and going after my family. And so that's what I did. I went to college and I sort of escaped and thank the Lord, the court finally believed us. Unfortunately, after some like accidents, my father had did, but you know, I definitely relate to that story. It's an amazing story. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's been a wild ride <laughs> my whole life. Kind of like how your childhood leads you to certain moments. And in college too, I did not know anything about medicine or what a doctor was actually my freshman year of college. I thought research experience was clinical experience. I was like, Oh, this is what doctors do. Cause they do research too. And then like halfway through college, I was like, Oh, what's a medical scribe. Oh, I should do that. <laughs> and so I kind of just like obtained all these random experiences in the hopes that like it would kind of like help me become a competitive candidate. And then I grew to love these experiences and I loved doing research and I loved working in the hospital. And then I was like, yeah, I do want to be a doctor and help people kind of like my family. I have a question. (laughs) (laughs) I just, you all have such amazing stories and I, I just, I can relate to them on in so many different ways, but I won't bore you with the details. Um, I am wondering though, something that I try to do a lot is be reflective about where I started and how I got here and remind myself of how how many successes I've had. Because um, when you start somewhere that was difficult or you were in a trial situation or you were just struggling with something, when you finally get, get out of it and are suddenly graduated college and doing big things, big adult things, sometimes you forget to look back and like remind yourself of where you came from. Um, so something that I've been thinking a lot about is what I would go back and tell little me, little freshman undergrad me and what kind of reassurances I would give her, what advice I would give her. So I'll share some of my thoughts first, but I am going to make you guys think about yours and try to think of what reassurances or advice you would give little freshman you, or even before that senior in high school, wherever you want to start. Um, but one of the things that I was thinking a lot about yesterday when I was driving from work, um, or I guess not yesterday, Friday, it's Sunday now, um, is just how hard it was. It was hard. It was really hard to get through undergrad for me. I had a lot of things going against me the entire time. And even at the tail end of it, there were some surprise things that came up and there were so many moments where I felt like I should just switch and be a business major, or (laughs) I should just be a math major instead, go into accounting, take the easier road. And I would go back and tell her it was worth every painful moment. 
It was worth every hard dilemma that came up, every failed test or all of the hours I spent studying, all of the things I gave up to study or to go to all of these classes or do the research projects and volunteering. It made me a better person. And even though I'm still not achieving my goals yet, I know that it was worthwhile. So I would definitely go back and tell her that it's all worth it. I think I would tell my freshman self to <laughs> just relax. I think as day one of medical day one of college, I had like asked every other every upperclassman I could who was pre-med. I was like, so like, what did you do? Like, tell me all the things I need to do. I just felt like I didn't know anything. And actually my first year or my first week in college, I scheduled an appointment with my pre-med advisor. And I was like, tell me, what is the best way to become a doctor? What is the best way to get into medical school? And I look back on that. I'm like, Jesus Christ, just make some friends and (laughs) go to some parties and go to some fitness classes and join the ultimate Frisbee team. And, you know, in college, it was just like, go, go, go academically from the beginning. And I really wish I spent more time doing some more of like my hobbies that I enjoyed. I was a very sporty gal in high school. I did like three sports and I tried to join some intramural clubs here and there, but I really wish I committed to one all four years of college. And I really wish I did something like that instead of entirely school academics, research and work. Um, To your point, Sarah, you were talking about how like it's hard to look back and be proud of all the things that you've done. And I feel like it's because, you know, when you come from an environment that's like full of adversity, it's really easy to just be put on survival mode. You know, you feel like you have to get to the next thing, do the next thing in order to just survive. But once you're in a place of like, maybe not necessarily abundance, but you know, once you're in a place of relative safety, like college, you know, where your only obligation is to just pass your classes, I think it's okay to let your guard down. Like um, Lexi said, like, it's okay to, you know, maybe not have to ask all the upperclassmen. Maybe it's okay to go to the parties. Maybe it's okay to <laughs> allow yourself to skip OCHEM lecture if you really need to. I know I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I would also tell myself to just uh, relax a little bit because I was on, I was in survival mode. I was on autopilot for a lot of undergrad. And I think that yeah. um, it's really easy to just get caught up in that, like in life, you know, even outside of undergrad, it's like, you could like go your entire career on autopilot, not being grateful for the things that you have or not appreciating what's around you. Right. And I think that leads to burnout in medicine. Mm -hmm. Like, absolutely. And I loved in your bio, Jay, that you mentioned mindfulness practices. Um, Mm -hmm. Those in undergrad, don't be afraid to get like engage in meditation. And I use meditation to actually study for the MCAT. I struggled with a lot of anxiety during my studying process. And I use this app called Insight Timer. It's abs- it's basically a free calm app, absolutely free. And I love it. So if you guys want to use that, it's great. You know, meditation has been, it was like crucial in helping me to, you know, take the time and space in order to just like be present and enjoy yeah. what I'm going through instead of just like basking in the the suffering of studying for the MCAT or writing secondaries. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I agree. Like that's all like very excellent advice. And Jay's been trying to teach me how to meditate. So <laughs> hopefully I'm a good learner, a good student. So but no, she's, only... good. she's good. Yeah, perfect. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, and I guess for me, my advice would just be kind of believe in yourself because there's like so many moments of uncertainty. Like, am I doing the right thing? Like what is happening? Like, do I really want to do this? Um, like my family, 
half of them anyway, came from like a really rural town in Mexico. Um, so there wasn't a lot of educational opportunities, like women weren't encouraged to go after education. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, it was a big thing for my mom to get her college degree and come to the US and start a whole life for herself. Um, but I mean, like the process to get into med school, like none of my family really could help. My dad's went to trade school. I mean, my mom, she studied linguistics um, in another country, so she didn't really understand the process of getting into med school. Um, so I felt very alone and I was moving fast. Like I was very young when I applied to med school and looking back, maybe I should have waited a couple years, but I had no one to tell me, wait, like, hold on. Or like, maybe you should like get some research. Like I had zero research experience. Like I really didn't know what was required to get into med school. And there were points where I'm like, am I like, am I supposed to be here? Like, should I be here? Um, like, when I got my interview invite from, like, Mayo Clinic, I seriously considered, like, canceling it, because I'm like, uh -huh. I don't think I, like, I deserve this. Like, I'm going to interview, and they're going to reject me, and that's going to hurt a lot, because, like, I had gotten my hopes up at that point, um, and so I said, like, maybe, like, rather than, like, them shoot me down, like, I'll shoot myself down, and then it hurt a little less. Oh, <laughs> And so like that was like a really big like a personal battle for me like yeah. should I just go for it like what and my mom told me like the worst thing that's gonna happen is that they're just gonna reject you I mean and I'm like <laughs> okay like, I mean that sounds pretty horrible to me but um, I, I mean it's right though like the worst thing that can happen is they reject you and you move on like yeah. uh, there's other schools that I applied to like there's still other opportunities and if the worst came to worst, I can always apply again and hopefully get like a better understanding of what I needed to get into med school. Um, so that that was always like, like looking back, I would just tell myself, just like, you know, believe in yourself, try like the worst that can happen is, yeah, you might fail, but then you get back up and you try again. Yeah. You have the rest of your life to be a doctor. Exactly. That's awesome. I know imposter syndrome is even starts in undergrad burnout and imposter syndrome starts just way early, not just in medical school and beyond. And um, what are some ways we can combat that? I think I'm still working on it. <laughs> to be it's still real. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think going off of Izzy's point, like um, even after having all that self-doubt, I'd still say she's one of the hardest workers in my class. You know, like she routinely sets Aww. the curve which I'm angry about because, you know, there's no <laughs> um, she is always volunteering. She's always on it. And I, I think it just goes to show that if you're in a place, um, you're in that place for a reason. You know, yeah. I, I think that you just have to believe in yourself and believe that like uh, you are efficacious and that you can do what you set your mind to. And I think that it's hard. To, like, it's one thing to hear that. It's another thing to internalize it. And I feel like um, it's something I'm still working on internalizing. You know, I think every test I pass, every physical exam that I don't mess up, um, every uh, murmur that I hear, it's just like a little more like a confirmation that I'm supposed to be here. But I think it's a process. And I don't think that there's any like one thing I could say to help everybody listening realize that. Yeah, I agree. It can be really hard because um, you're always like comparing yourself and no matter how well you seem to do in med school there's always seems to be one person who's doing it better or doing more oh, and no. so you're like like you're always comparing yourself and so like for me like it helps a lot just talking with my classmates talking with like my mentors like 
realizing that they're human too and they're struggling and like the people that I'm comparing themselves to they're comparing themselves to me and everyone else in class and yeah. realizing that we're just human and we're just trying to get through this process and whatever happens it's like it's going to be okay yeah that competitive nature unfortunately it's just so innate in us pre-meds and pre-pas too Sarah it's such an issue no I when I still have imposter syndrome and guys were working on setting up an episode with a therapist to talk about it. Yeah, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> but I just like think one of the most important things that I do for myself when struggling with imposter syndrome is recognizing my triggers. One of the yeah. things that makes me feel so inferior and just like doubt myself so much and it'll just set my whole day off wrong is reading other people's resumes. So I just don't do it. I don't read people's resumes. (laughs) Oh, just like when people will send me their resume, like, Hey, can you look over this? Because I did like a whole resume training class at ASU. I used to teach a resume class. I cannot read people's resumes. I will just compare myself to them the entire way. And that is one of my triggers. So if you notice there are things that will just set you off in a spiral of I'm not good enough to be doing this take those out of the equation. Don't let those things get you down. You know, I kind of like it that way where it's like, instead of just thinking, oh, I shouldn't think like this, like just remove the trigger. Just take it away. Mute that person on Instagram. Just take that out of the equation. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask uh, one of our last questions. Is there anything you would change about the pre-med or application process if you were in charge of the AAMC or some like similar overlords of, you know, the medical school application process? What would it be? I think personally for me, it maybe cut back on the amount of testing that they have to do and just like the sheer yeah. cost of everything because those are barriers to a lot of people. It's just like yeah. you have to pay for primaries. And for some reason, schools will always send you their secondary. So you have to pay for those too. I know. Yeah, they don't seem very selective in getting to that next step, which I always found interesting. So yeah, just like I I noticed that they added a new test called like preview or something. Yeah, I took that. (laughs) I'm like, we already have to take the MCAT, which like costs an absurd amount of money. And then Casper, which costs even more money. And now they have preview, like how many tests are they going to like add on and how much money are they going to ask us to spend on all this whole process? And I really do he- hope that they keep like the interview process more or less on virtual. Cause like that was a huge help, like not having to fly to another city and then stay yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like a huge thing for me. I'm like, I'm so glad that my interview is during COVID, even though this whole pandemic is awful, but it really helped me a lot. Yeah. I was on the prospective doctor podcast recently and they asked me this question and I kind of said something similar, but I was like, honestly, why do we ask all these secondaries if a lot of the questions are very similar? Like one of the main questions is, um, you know, explain your identity or like how your diverse experiences have led you to this moment and becoming a doctor. I feel like almost every medical school asks like, ask that in just a slightly different way. Why don't we just like cross survey all of these medical schools and just add it to the primary or like have just complete one major secondary, like the primary, just with these specific questions. I don't really understand why we have to write so many essays per school. And 
I mean, what's, what's the point of it really to me, if we can just do it all in one application and yeah, I don't also don't understand. I didn't know that I had to pay for every school again in the secondary season. I'm like, I thought I, I thought I knew it all. I researched everything I could. And then I saw this and I was like, wait, it's a hundred bucks. I didn't budget for this. <laughs> so I'm just like, are you kidding me? And I mean, for those of you who don't know, when you submit your primary, you can pay anywhere from 50 to $150 per school. And then when you get secondaries, you have to do it again, 58 to $150 per school. And I applied to 23. And so if you do the math, it's a lot of money. <laughs> and we really need to change that. And I hope our generation, when we um, become doctors, when we become physician leaders, so I'm very interested in medical education and fixing this process because it's completely unnecessary. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like if there was one thing I had to change, it would be that the admissions process is so um, like uh, hyper-focused on scores. Um, yeah. I, I think that like w when you have like an entire system that's based around like who can get the highest score it really turns into like an exclusionary game because people who don't have them like money for resource or money for tutors or like the time to spend studying are excluded and that's usually urms that's usually socioeconomically disadvantaged people yeah. so on the one end it's it's exclusionary but on the other end it also makes it so that um you know, there's really no incentive to be a kind, compassionate, caring person. You know, you have doctors who are just like so hyper-focused on, you know, being right or getting to the answer. But I feel like it lacks the humanistic side, or at least like it's not emphasized. And I think that it lets, um, I think it shifts the focus of medicine away from the patient and more towards like, I guess, like the the science, the curiosity, the objective, rather than um, yeah. the subjective. You know, I think I noticed that a lot um, based on my different clinical experiences. I shadowed a lot of physicians at Mayo Clinic, and then I worked in a separate, like a different hospital as a scribe. And you could really tell how the environment was different. And um, some of the doctors would just pay attention less to their patients or really not really hear what they were saying and wanted to get to the point. Okay, well, what's your complaint? What's your symptoms? I don't need this whole backstory um, for your what why you come in today. And some people just take a little while to tell their story. And I, I really didn't really agree with that. Even as a scribe, I was like, I, I'm the storyteller actually in this role. I want to hear their story. I want it to make it like, I don't want to write it like a novel, but I want it to make sense in our minds because we're humans. We're not robots. We're not simulations. Like we've been studying in undergrad and anatomy classes. And um, I definitely agree with that for sure. I so agree with you, Lexia. I'm going to say something unpopular. I'm pre-PA, <laughs> so take this with a grain of salt. But when I was working in my rural ER setting, the thing that I noticed the most is, you're all going to hate me, the DOs wanted to hear the stories. The DOs <laughs> would pull up a chair and say, tell me everything. And the MDs didn't do that. So there's my unpopular opinion. <laughs> I think this holistic approach that the DOs focus on more so than MDs might need to be converted a little more hardcore to the MD schools. <laughs> but what do I know? I'm pre-PA. I wholeheartedly agree. I feel like a I felt, lot I of, 
like MD medicine is just focused on like the quick fix, the pill, instead yeah. of like looking at the whole person, looking at their habits, their diet, all these things. Um, and I feel like we're moving away from uh, the story, moving away from the patient and moving more towards like, you know, what, what's the best pill I can give them? Like, what's the quickest mm -hmm. A to B like way to get them out of the hospital? Yeah, I definitely saw that too. My ER, like the same thing, Sarah. And um, one of my mentors who I grew really closely in the ER with, she was a DO and she's was very like humanistic in her care. And I definitely align with that. That's the type of doctor I want to be. I'm, I'm a very much a people person. I want to hear everything about you. <laughs> it's just so interesting. And I want to help you too. Well, I think we should transition to our game for the last few minutes of the episode. Um, Sarah and I have to developed a couple medical trivia questions. Some are easy, some are hard, i.e. Sarah's. <laughs> um, so I would thought, Sarah, you would ask yours first, and then I'll ask my question, and we'll go from there. Okay. I, I changed them up a little bit. I gave some warnings. I decided to just make it worse for everyone. Oh, God. So <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Good. 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 <laughs> Here we go. My first question for you is the easiest one. What friar in the Austrian empire is widely credited as the founder of genetics? I don't know. You guys don't know. <laughs> wait, wait, they, they don't teach you this in med school. They, they taught you this undergrad. in undergrad. Jinx. Uh, I have no recollection. We took genetics. It's gone. Everything is gone. It's Mendel, Mendelian genetics. Uh, Okay. Jeez, yeah. these are our future doctors, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pray for the country. I'm just kidding. Okay, um, my next one. No one's gonna know these. Ugh. Okay. It's fun yeah. to know or fun to listen. Bad Medicine is a hit song from the 1988 album New Jersey by what rock artist? Kiss. No, that's a band. Oh. What, what year was it? 1988. Before I was born. Um, I, don't know. <laughs> I know, like, oh, bad man. medicine. ACDC. I'm, think, I'm thinking, like, Motley Crue. That feels right. It's mm. Bon Jovi. Oh, oh. yeah. Okay. No My Bon Jovi fans. That's okay. Okay. This one, I love this one. <laughs> Ear Keckers. Ear keckers are an outdated term for what body part typically only discussed when a site of swelling or for a removal procedure? Ear keckers. Well, it, it can't be ears because this is all a trick, right? Unless that's the trick, is this actually ears? That is my final answer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll second that. I like fingers. Fingers? <laughs> Yeah, why? What? Kickers. Because they. No, you're Keckers with a K. K E C K E R S. I don't know what that means. Think E N T. The tonsils the first week of med school, no? The tonsils. Yeah, it was definitely in my Anki deck at some point. Oh. Yeah, definitely. I don't have the tonsils. I don't have tonsils, so how is I supposed to know that? <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Actually, this might be the easiest one. I've said this about three of them, and you've all got it wrong. So this one's probably hard, too. 
What disease of the endocrine system affects 21 million Americans and 6 million of them don't even know that they have it? Uh, we have not gone through endo, but I'm going to say diabetes. <laughs> you said what? Oh, I said diabetes. Yeah, I was, I was going to guess that. Um, yeah. Maybe metabolic syndrome? I don't, I'm going to say diabetes too. Type it's two diabetes. diabetes. Type two or type one? He didn't say both. Oh. <laughs> oh, both combined. They're different. <laughs> it's a combo. It's a combo of the two. Ah, uh, okay. Oh wow. So you're telling me a lot of people don't know that they have diabetes. Six million. In America or the world? America. Oh wow. That's unfortunate. Okay. My questions are easier. Um, they are. <laughs> what is the medical term for excessive sweating? And let me know if you got it. And if not, I can list the four multiple choice questions I got. I know Diap it. Diaphoresis. Okay, actually, yes, but I have a different answer. That's kind of funny. Is it hyperhidrosis? Yes, it is. Yeah, no, you're right. Okay. No, you're absolutely right, Izzy, because like in the ER, um, when you scribe, that's what you use is diaphoresis. Yeah. But I didn't even think. I just Googled what's the excessive term for sweating. It was hyperhidrosis. I was like, okay. Oh my gosh. I mean, we'll take both because yeah, yeah. everyone. All right. This one's interesting. What is the medical term for a brain freeze? I have four multiple choice answers. Would you like me to read them all? Yes, let's hear them. Okay. I'm going to try my best. <laughs> a. Sphenopalatine ganglioneuralgia. B. Yeah. Cephalgia. Cephalalgia. C. Temporomandibular disorder. Or D. Hypothermia. It's not, it's not D. Hypothermia. Hypothermia. No, it's not I'm just kidding. I it's think it's A, though. I think it's I A, the first a. one you said. It is A. Good, good job. Sphenopalatine ganglioneuralgia. I know my Latin root words. <laughs> they yeah. Every time I go get ice cream now. Because, like, palatine, isn't that the roof of your mouth? Or is that? Yeah. 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 Because then, like, you know how you solve a brain freeze? You stick your thumb in the roof of your mouth. We heard yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right. Um, one more. The average person produces enough saliva in their lifetime to fill how many sw swimming pools? Five. The confidence? I, I know. Gotta be confident. Yeah, otherwise. It's instant. I'm going to guess like 1,200. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, I think it's like six liters a day. No. Is that too much? Sarah, what's your answer? Um, it's waters in a swimming pool. 77. It's, like... it's two, guys. Two I was words. the closest. <laughs> Easy wins. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, oh, is it 10,000? What did Jay say? <laughs> it was, she's, what did you say? Like 100,000 or something? I, I said 2,000. 2, okay, two, 2,000, you know. Um, Alice, one more, just an easy one. What does the DTaP vaccine stand for? Diphtheria, tuberculosis? No, it's not tuberculosis. What? You're right there. Oh, no, it's diphtheria. Crap. It's to protect. I only know this because of OB. It protects <laughs> you from the whipping cough. So they want prenatal That is one of them. To get it. 
I'm a microbiology major, so I'm kind of upset. <laughs> I just don't know this. <laughs> to be fair, I can't pronounce most things in micro. <laughs> Hold on, I'm gonna remember this. Okay. Wait, I can. Da-da-da-da. All right, five. Tetanus, tetanus, diphtheria, yes. tetanus, pertussis. That's it. Yes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Fun fact: since you said tuberculosis, um, there is no tuberculosis. tuberculosis vaccine there is one in america there however there is one in europe and it is not approved in america because it's like has really severe side effects and it's only used in children in europe and like after that it doesn't really work like it works throughout childhood but doesn't really extend into like adulthood and a lot of people who get it in europe as kids they have like permanent bruising on their arms Mm -hmm. um and so america doesn't really like it and some of the other side effects that it has, but pretty interesting. And I agree that there should be a better vaccine out there, but it's not really a big problem here in the United States. However, my microbiology professor at ASU had tuberculosis, which was interesting. I don't know how he got it, but he said he just like got it randomly when he was at the mall, just like he was in the wrong place at the wrong time was a story. Someone can just cough in, in your face and you just have tuberculosis and that's the end for you. Cause when you cough and that virus is present in those like water droplets in the air for a really long time, up to like six hours. And so you just walk into a unfortunate sneeze cloud and that's it. You got tuberculosis. But anyway, <laughs> new fear unlocked. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so that's what med school will do. It's like, wow, like I really could die from anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I know. I felt the same way. I took this medical microbiology class actually led by my PI and oh my gosh, I have all these new fears. She basically went through every part of the body and everything that you could get infected with and suffer from. <laughs> yeah. Reheating rice. Priscilla's like, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm going to still do it. I will be afraid, but I'm going to still do it. Or like listen in the shower. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Anyway, thank you so much, you guys, for being on the podcast. Um, We really enjoyed talking to you. Well, thank you for having us. It was a fun time. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And if any of you listeners have any more questions about the pre-med process or just want to rant for a second or maybe share your story or what you think should change about the pre-med process, go to our email at mphc at nationalprehealthconf.org or go to our website at prehealthpod.com and scroll to the bottom. There is a contact us page. Jay and Izzy, do you want to go ahead and plug your stuff and where people can find you or maybe shoot you an email? Yeah, you guys, if you feel free to either get on Instagram, I'm Izzy the Busy. It's I-Z-Z-Y. <laughs> it's my middle school nickname. I've never changed it. It is super awesome. Um, and then you can also email me. Um, so uh, Isabella Wright. So writes, R-E-I-T-Z dot Isabella at mayo dot E-D-U. And uh, my Instagram is jdnix underscore. And my email is nix.jalen at mayo.edu. Awesome. I know I also have an unfortunate middle school Instagram. I don't have it anymore, but it used to be Lexi smiles a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. (laughs) Anyway, rolling the credits now. 
This podcast was produced by Ari Rosenthal, Lorelai Edmonds, and Aditi Kalande. You can find our conference on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn, all of our events on there at National Pre-Health Community or MPHC 2020. You can also find our podcast on Instagram at prehealthpod and our website at prehealthpod.com. Thank you so much for joining the National Pre-Health Conference of 2023. We love every each and one of you. Last time I checked at the time of this recording, we had about 1,200 registrants. So, so excited to have you all there. And if you've liked our podcast, please like, leave a review, or tell one friend if you liked our pod. Thanks for listening. Bye.